Let's welcome to the show Brian Duke Sullivan. Uh, you're a Bigfoot researcher from Montana, and uh, for those of you that have never heard that term before, that describes people who go out into the remote areas and study these creatures. They call themselves researchers. And since we're kind of a new show on Bigfoot, we're just going to throw that out there. Um, you host the show World Bigfoot Radio. You saw your first Sasquatch in 1972, right? Yeah, you know? I had my first cryptid sighting in 72. The, As far as I'm concerned, the uh, jury's still out on what it was exactly. Okay. I think it's a sub-variety of Bigfoot, but I, I'm not even sure, so I don't know. Oh, well, well, you can only imagine if you saw something like that at that age, that would propel you to look into this stuff the rest of your life. Um, and you've been researching this for over 40 years. On your show, you talk Bigfoot, paranormal, strange animals, alternative science, technology, conspiracies. And for some reason, all those things connect. Uh, so I got Luke and I got Duke on the show tonight. Let's do this. Alrighty. All right. So maybe uh, you can talk about that first encounter as a kid and kind of how it set you off into this path of Bigfoot and trying to figure out what it was you saw. That was uh, that was quite the experience. I was about 10 years old. I was out sledding with one of my other friends. And we had recently discovered that if we went all the way back to the end of this fire lane that they had cut, that there was kind of a big slough back there that you couldn't get across during the summer. But it looked to us like there was a big steep hill on the far side of it. Okay. So we got to the other side and went, well, that was a lot of effort, but there's still uh, this hill over here looks really steep, so let's go check it out. Trudge, trudge, trudge up the incredibly steep hill. Yeah. It almost looked like they had tried to start making a fire lane on that side at one point and then just decided that it like wasn't worth doing and gave up on it because part of it at the bottom was open, but then it's, we thought that was the top of the hill, and we got to the, the top, and it wasn't the top of the hill. There was another hill sitting right back behind it. We decided that since we hadn't actually tried to go down this thing yet, and there was only like two of us there, that we would go one at a time. One of us would be about halfway up the hill and watching to make sure the other guy didn't wipe out on the first half of the hill. And then also watching that they made it down to the second half of the hill before they trudged to the top and took their attempt at it. So that's, that's what we were doing. And the third time I went up to the top, I was standing up there and you know, you get up to the top, and we just had, like, a little runway for our little plastic sleds that we would put down. As I was turning around to put my sled down, something caught my attention. I, for, you know, my subconscious mind went, hey, something in the scenery changed. You know, and I'm like, wait, what? something looked different. So I look back again, and I'm still looking, and 
just about to jump on the sled and go down the hill. And, and I tr turned back and looked again. And this time I could see that what was drawing my attention was, you know, most of the top of this hill had like hardwoods. It's middle of the winter. There's no leaves on them. Everything's bare and denuded looking, except over as I'm facing away from the hill to my right hand side, there was this huge black spruce tree. And, um, you know, the first couple of times I had been up there, it only had one trunk, but now it had three. Uh, and the other two trunks had hair hanging from them. <laughs> Gray hair with like little snow dingleberries in it. <laughs> oh, damn it. One of our stupid neighbors found our sledding run already. They're up here spying on us. They're probably going to throw snowballs at us. They got a pair of those funky uh, snowmobile um, snowmobiling pants that actually existed back then that had like fake fur on the outside of them. <laughs> and they're sitting there watching us and they're like, you jerks, you're just going to ruin our awesome sledding hill that we're going to keep all to ourselves. And so I figured whoever it was is hiding like partially behind the tree. So I'd look up a little ways because I could only see the two huge thick legs next to the tree, which is about the same thickness as the trunk. So I figured the head would be up there about six feet and they're peeking through the branches looked up and no, there was no head there. Then I noticed movement further up and I looked further up and about nine feet up is, uh, there was something peeking through the branches and it wasn't anything even remotely close to being a human. And it looked startled for a second when I saw it, like, Oh crap, you saw me. And then he gave me this big grin. And, uh, that was extremely disconcerting because this thing had like an ear to ear mouth and, uh, mm huge teeth in it that looked more like shark teeth to me than anything plus the way it was standing there looking at me was holding the upper branch up with one hand and it was holding the lower branch down with the other to make enough space for it to see through uh, so i could only see that part of its face but i could see its fingertips and to me it looked like it had black talons on the end of its fingertips so wow. i immediately decided i have no idea what the hell this thing is but it's huge and it looks carnivorous and i'm out of here and I jumped on my sled and tried to break the world luge speed record down the hill. And, you know, it's a really good thing we built that run as well as we did because this is the first time either one of us tried it at full speed. And I was, <laughs> if those supers Dang. hadn't worked, I would have went flying off right into a tree and gotten killed. But at that point, I didn't care. It was like I'd rather pile into a tree and get killed than get caught by whatever the hell that thing is back up on the hill behind. Yeah, yeah. How far are you guys from home at this point? About three miles. Okay, so you're like out and you're kind of out there. Yeah, <laughs> down a fire lane about three miles out in the woods, yeah. And then we just went back to my house. And for some reason, he didn't ever ask me, you know, what were you running from or anything. And I never asked him if he saw anything. Just when he finally caught up to me, he went, oh, I'm tired. And I went, well, let's go back to the house and warm up. You said that you think this is like a subspecies of Bigfoot because it didn't look like a normal Sasquatch? No, it doesn't look anything like the normal ones. It was about two years later when I was just hanging out with Dave again, and he goes, hey, remember that time we went sledding on the fire lane? And I'm like, no. You know, and we were way back there past that slough on that really tall hill, and I'm still not remembering it. I'm like, no. And you came, yeah, man, you were like sledding down the hill really fast, and you looked scared, and you said, run like hell. Then I remembered it. All of a sudden, it came wow. back. Do you like block that I out? was like really not happy that he brought that up for about – Two years after that, I didn't even want to go in the woods at all. And I still loved hunting and everything. So I would go like hunting near the house, like within eyesight or a <laughs> hundred yards, heavily armed like Rambo. And then finally I would go out further in the woods with lots of other friends, heavily armed. And then I would go out in the woods, like not, 
quite so heavily armed by myself and so on and so forth until I had my second encounter, which convinced me that it didn't matter if I was going out in the woods or not. They were still going to show up on the damn yard. So what's the point? Do you feel like you have something that attracts them to you? I hope not, but there seems to be a pattern of that sort of thing with other um, Bigfoot experiencers. A lot of the people who get involved in doing research isn't because they're interested in Bigfoot. It's exactly the opposite. They have no interest in it whatsoever, and they see one of the damn things. And then they go, well, what the hell? These things are obviously real. (laughs) What the hell else is real? You know, that, that becomes a real problem. And I, I don't know if it's harder to handle when you're older or, you know, when you're younger. But for me, at 10 years old, I was already like, well, adults are all liars. He told me there's no such thing as monsters. There's a friggin' monster right back there. Yeah. Gosh. No denying what that thing was. That was not a bear. We had bears around our property constantly. We only lived two miles from the county dump. And they would stop and snack on our trash cans on the way back and forth from it. In your research in the last 40 years or so, is there any significance to getting a smile from a Bigfoot as opposed to just seeing, you know, having a sight? Absolutely. If they smile at you and they don't open their lips, they actually like you. They have that same characteristic as we do. Hmm. If they open their lips and they show you their teeth, that's classic ape behavior. Almost all the great apes and most of the monkeys do this too. They're showing you part of the arsenal that they have at the, the ready to tear you to pieces. It's a threat. And you would say you would say this one you saw in the snow was aggressive. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm convinced that's what the Algonquin Confederation of uh, Natives were referring to as a Wendigo. And uh, their experiences with those things in the upper uh, northeast part of the country is exactly the opposite of the experience that most of the Indians on the Pacific Northwest had. I mean, I've, I've, I've read some of these ones you're talking about have like almost like scales. They just look like they've got like almost armor on just from rolling in the dirt and it drying and stone stones sticking to it. They just look like something came out of hell. I classify that as the uh, type 4, which is what you're referring to as a Janoska or the stone giant, or they also call them the shining ones. So apparently what they did then is that they would like rub themselves against trees and get the pitch and the sap and stuff like that in their hair. And then they would go roll around in the gravel and get all of these little rock fragments and small pebbles and stuff stuck into their hair and, and then repeat process a few times. And after a while, they were just like a walking coat of armor and it was all tar and rocks and stuff. When you hit that with a, you know, flint arrowhead, (laughs) it don't go in. Interestingly, after the natives got their hands on the boomsticks from the white man, there's no more reports of the stone giants having armor anymore. So whatever was up here was actually acclimated to living in subarctic conditions and living on a carnivorous diet, which is why I think, you know, the big nasty shark-like teeth and the claws talon looking claws on the fingers okay. and I had two other people on my show that actually I had a, a workup of the the face that I saw done by a really good artist uh, Bigfoot 411 and then I showed that on the show where I was talking about it and I had two other people contact me that went dude that's the same thing I dude, saw do you have a do you have that drawing is something we could look at look at and post on our Facebook page so our listeners could take a look at that as well I can send it over to you guys I don't have it handy on this computer but I got All another right. This is kind of a nosedive for like early listeners, you know, where, where you kind of go from like, do these things exist to there's subspecies and these ones are like, you know. Across North America, there's white tailed deer. Yeah. White tailed deer are everywhere in North America. There's 21 sub varieties of white tailed deer. 
So since that's a real animal, there's sub-varieties because in each little environmental niche, they've changed a little bit to make it work better in that environmental niche. You would expect if Bigfoot had been here for thousands and thousands and tens of thousands or who knows how, how that long, years, that they also would have developed to be better acclimated to certain environmental conditions. Ones down in the south seem to be a little bit shorter and smaller comparatively because they don't need all that kind of gigantic mass. And just like the rule with all the regular mammals, yeah, the further north, the bigger. And that seems to be the same thing with the Bigfoot. If you got up into uh, northern Canada and Alaska, there's been sightings of just absolutely colossal Bigfoot up there. Um, oh. Usually if you're down in the south, you're seeing most of the encounters of people who see one will be between like six and eight feet tall. Occasionally you get a bigger one. In your 40 years, Duke, what, why do you think they do what they do? I mean, that, the, the big thing for you is why, correct? It's not so much if, it's, it's yes, they're here, and how and why they do what they do. What, is, what have you gleaned from your experiences, from, I guess, from, from trudging through all the other eyewitnesses, the, science, the scientific stuff, the DNA? Can you encapsulate some of that for us on, on what you think they do and why they do it? <laughs> what they do. Well, they're just making a living. They're, do, they're doing things. They don't have technology because they don't need it. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's already been proven. I mean, if, uh, first of all, DNA has already been sequenced. It's available in ZooBank. The Ketchum DNA study did that. Um, secondly, other countries already recognize this as, as a species. This, uh, Russia recognized uh, their version of the Bigfoot as an endangered species in 1965, and Germany and France both followed suit in 1967, same year they got the Patterson-Gimlin film, by the way. It's interesting. It, it, it does go conspiratorial right away, you know, and unfortunately there's just half the population is so afraid of uttering the words conspiracy theory, but it seems that uh, you just can't avoid it when you're talking Bigfoot. And you can't avoid all the other paranormal stuff that go along with that. You know where so, the term conspiracy theory came from? CIA. That's right. They, yeah. they created that to help debunk people that were figuring out all their BS and were starting to expose it. Yeah, it was meant to push back on, on their propaganda experiments. Exactly, yeah. Yep. How often do you think the average person in the woods walks by one of these creatures? I'm looking for them, and I'm in areas I know they're around, and I've done it. They're incredibly stealthy. Look, they're, they're tall enough. If you're in a pine forest or something, and you got some medium-sized pines, how, how high up is the lowest pine branch? Yeah, they're low to the ground. Yeah, it's like a Christmas tree. Yeah. So you're looking, you're looking at, you know, the lower branches on most of these common pine trees are going to be somewhere up between like three and five feet. Yeah. Okay, so that's below their waist. All they have to do is stand still, and you'll think their legs are other pine trees. Hmm. And this is the kind of stuff they do. They're, most of them tend to be black. All they have to do is get in the shade underneath the tree, especially during the day, and sit there and not Almost move. Invisible. Yeah. The other thing is they have their hair is really strange. It doesn't have. Um, it's basically hollow, and I know a bunch of people that have gotten hair samples and have all tried this trick with it, and it actually picks up the color of whatever it's laying next to. So this helps them blend into things too. How much do you, that do you subscribe to biology versus some sort of supernatural ability? Well, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's mostly just completely biology. Some of them do have paranormal abilities, not all of them. They're just like humans are. And I like to use the analogy that one of my uh, brilliant friends gave to me on this one, and that's that 
if you're an alien, you came down and visited Earth right now, and, and your alien overlord said, pick one representative human. That's a good example of common humans. What would you take? Okay, because you've got some humans that go into space on the space shuttle, and you got other humans that are running around with horse-drawn buggies. You know, <laughs> what do you guys want me to grab? See, it's the same thing with Bigfoot. Probably the only paranormal ability they all have in common that seems to come up over and over and over and over and over is mind speak. And when you say mind speak, like, I mean, one of the most basic things everyone says is they feel like something's watching them. Are they putting that, are they making you feel something or are they putting a actual like words in your head? No, it's because, you know, it's just their, the power of their minds, like I was saying with their, even if you spend a lot of time in the woods and do a lot of hunting and stuff, you will notice that um, if you're being watched by a predator, you know it. You can feel it. One of your friends yeah. is watching you. You can tell there's somebody staring at you, and you go and you turn. Bigfoot are hyper attuned to that sort of stuff. I heard from a couple different people that have been watching them on the other side of a canyon through field glasses. And as soon as they had the field glasses on them for about 30 seconds, the Bigfoot stopped and turned and looked directly at them. Like they Weird. could tell somebody over there was watching them. They couldn't see uh, exactly where they were, but they could feel their gaze. And and um, that's what's happening. They're walking through an area. The Bigfoot is watching them. They have the Bigfoot's full attention, and they can feel the Bigfoot's gaze on them. And if it's feeling like a hostile feeling, yeah, the Bigfoot's pissed at you, and that's why you're getting that. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll just get the creepy feeling, hey, I'm being watched. I can't see what's watching me. Something's do you think humans me. can do that? We can, like, project our feelings and thoughts to others. We just don't have the – we haven't tapped into that part of our brain yet or Absolutely. something? Absolutely. If you're um, – you can do that when you're um, – if you're hunting, too. I mean, if you're watching a game animal that you're thinking about shooting and you stare at it too much, it'll, it'll realize it's being stared at and it'll get jumpy. Lots of hunters can attest to that. It's weird. Like sometimes I'll be thinking of my friend and then my phone will like pop up and it'll be them calling me. I've had that happen so many times. I'm always like, that's so weird. I was just thinking about you. <laughs> just made my point for me, buddy, because that's, that's the same thing that's going on with the squatches. They've all got basically paranormal abilities. We've all got them too. We just haven't learned how to use them. Hmm. And most of them, the only thing they know how to do is mind speak. That's it. Some of their clans know how to do all sorts of nifty tricks. But unless you grew up in that clan, you didn't get taught how to do them, so you don't know how to do them. Um, it's all what they have access to. And some of these Bigfoot clans are really advanced, and they've got a lot of tricks up their sleeve. And other ones are just, the only thing they got is mind speak, and they can outrun your ass easily, and that's it. <laughs> so, Duke, if, if they mind speak, then talk about the vocalizations they do as well, because they've got, apparently have like a, a range beyond the human range um, within their vocalizations. If they could mind speak and they vocalize, in your research or in your mind, what are the vocalizations all about then? Well, they're vocalizing. They're just talking to each other and stuff. And they are incredible mimics. They can make sounds of just about anything that they've heard. They can they can mimic it really well. We've heard reports of them mimicking the sound of a Harley Davidson starting up out in the woods. Um, there was another oh, wow. guy that had them mimicking the logging trucks all the time. Wow. Yeah, after logging season was over, we'd still hear logging trucks. There's no logging trucks coming down on the trail. Sounds like a ghost story almost. So, you know, like you're like you're hearing things that have like happened previously. Well, I think that's where a lot of these ghost stories came from originally. People would hear weird noises and stuff in some abandoned place and think it's haunted right. with ghosts. No, it's Bigfoot hanging around. Like voices, yeah, they hear like voices or and I, I know we've we've listened to the the Sierra, the Sierra sounds 
And there's some crazy, like, almost sounds like chatter, like people talking. Samurai chatter. Yeah. Yeah, you have to actually, you'd have to, like, record their their language and slow it down for it to be understandable to us, even if we did know exactly what the hell they were saying, because they speak so fast. Uh-huh. And I think that has to do with because they're usually telepathically communicating with each other where there's no limitation on how fast you can go. Right? I, I've heard they're, like, they've often mimic people's voices and, tr- and call try to call them out of their cabins or caution everybody to um, consider that there are other things in the woods besides bigfoot that are a lot more hostile to humans that people are pretty much blissfully unaware of so don't automatically assume that it, just because it's something weird in the woods it's bigfoot what, what else is out there uh, there's all kinds of cryptids out there just about all those things that they told you that are imaginary they're not imaginary let's not go camp nate let's not go camping anytime soon huh <laughs> research about the area that you want to go camping yeah. in and find out what all the legends are about the local cryptids and go well this area's got this kind of monster but this one doesn't and i like this one better yeah gandalf himself said be on your guard there are older and fouler things than orcs in the deep places of the world so gandalf he- as usual is absolutely right Hey, so I, my big question on all this then is 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 always the question of the skeptics, right? Like, so where's the body? I don't know that they pulled bodies out of the wood and then covered it up or wh- whatever, but yeah, what's okay? That, that would be that would be my big question: is like, where are the where are the Bigfoot, Sasquatch? When, bodies when disappear as soon as somebody comes up with one. Hmm. <laughs> Kevin Lang that I had on my show was actually uh, in a situation where uh, the uh, local rumor rumor mill had gotten going that. There were some people that had been arrested because they had gunned down a family of Bigfoot. And uh, he actually saw this. He he was near the not usually used airfield where they had the transport plane, and they had the dead Bigfoot bodies that they had already tarped off, and they had them on pallets, and they were hauling them in. And they had three people already in orange jumpsuits in chains that they marched onto the plane with them before they flew away with it. Oh. Why do you think they are keeping them uh, hidden? Like, what's the point of uh, Bigfoot not coming out? I can understand why the government hides, like, cures for diseases and other things. But Bigfoot- Keep in mind, they're always trying to sell us on there's no such thing as magic. Everything is technology. Mm-hmm. Right. This throws that in the toilet. It also throws their whole evolution BS in the toilet. Hey, what are these other adjacent hominids still running around that you said were extinct? Right. You know, does it have something to do with the fact that you can't control them? Kind of make it sound like that there is these supernatural abilities that we all have, and we're all connected to something deeper, and there's a thread there, and the government or whatever doesn't want people to tap into the fact that they are supernatural creatures, and if they figure out if Bigfoot exists, it's supernatural. So is it just this slippery slope, kind of like people will become self-aware that they are, there's that life, the explanation, the history? Right, you're absolutely right, but let's look at it for a second just from straight down the middle of the road, scientific analysis. Bigfoot is suddenly real. Okay, who has been covering this up? Are you going to tell me the government didn't know about this for all this time? Why were you covering it up? You've got an adjacent hominid that's clearly very human-like. It's one of our relatives. We've already established that with the DNA testing. Why are you covering this up? Why have you been lying to us about this all this time? Okay. So if the Bigfoot is actually real, what else is it actually real? You remember all those giant skeletons they keep hiding all the time? They keep finding remains of giants and hiding them for the last 150 years. Thanks to the Powell Doctrine from the Smithsonian, completely funded by the government, by the way. Smithsonian Museum, Powell Doctrine. Yeah, let's hide every giant skeleton that comes along. So the next 
sitting on the can of worms that gets opened up is, well, Bigfoot's real. What about all these giants you've been hiding from us? So I think in episode one, we talk about the giants um, of the Old Testament. And here we're talking about Sasquatch, and then we're talking about subspecies of Sasquatch. But I don't think some people out there realize that some people to this day still see giants in North America. Can you talk about that and their technology? Um, yeah, people see giants, but giants have technology. They use tech like we do, even if they, it's really primitive tech. They'll have primitive clothing. They'll have primitive, uh, you know— furs wrapped around their feet to make, uh, you know, makeshift boots out of. Uh, a lot of the times when people see these things, they're in the furthest north. Where? Where at? Alaska, Siberia, those kind of places. The Northern Territories, all that, yeah. Yeah. Do they live underground, or do they live underground and they come out and... Biblically and from all the mythological uh, standpoints that you can find, they always say that they're, they live underground. And population numbers, How? What, what, what's the population of Sasquatch, you think, versus these creatures? Hard to know. I mean, just you got got the uh, natives down in the southwest that talk about a lot of the giants are still around, that they're actually living underground, that they've been living underground for, you know, hundreds of years. Occasionally, one of them comes to the surface. Some of them have Bigfoot for their henchmen. They keep them as like freaking slaves and bully them around, use them for henchmen. And occasionally, one of them escapes and gets to the surface. Um, and if you want more information on these guys, go to Steve Quayle, another Montanan. It's like required to know about giants to live here and do cryptid research. <laughs> That's his shtick. Dude, does this have anything to do with like the underground cities we hear about, like underneath the Denver airport and all those conspiracies? There's all that a stuff? lot of these um, presumed aliens and older races that aren't supposed to exist anymore that are all supposed to have, you know, big hollowed out areas underneath the ground that they're living in, whether they're connected to each other or not. And then, of course, there's Phil Schneider with all the deep underground military bases that he was involved in yeah. building and the tramways between them and stuff. So a lot of this stuff gets, you know, linked up and they have wars underground and God knows what other weird stuff they're doing that we're not pretty to. <laughs> so the ones, so real quick, the ones that people see like North up in Canada and stuff, like how tall are they? Yeah. Most of those sightings you're talking about something that's like between 15 plus feet tall, Jeez. 15, 20 yeah, they'll carry a club or they'll have a spear or they'll have a stone axe they made. And, and you know, like uh, what you would imagine an old fur trapper from 150 years ago would be wearing homemade clothes or something like that. During the summer, they don't wear, wear much of anything. And some of these things, I think, are... I think we're dealing with three different things here. We've got giants, Bigfoot, and I hate to say it, trolls are real, too. Really? There's very few of them, thankfully. But they... Uh, Again, that's another one that could be using rudimentary technology. All the old legends talk about them, you know, roasting their victims over a fire when they had enough time and they weren't just hungry and wanted to eat them to go. And the, the, are those trolls, those like the bridge trolls and all that? Yeah, Canadian trolls. Yeah. Uh, they have, in their old uh, legendary, they have three different names for things. And I was in contact with Crypto Sweden over there for years talking about this back and forth. And there's researchers over there in Sweden, Norway, uh, all of the, the Scandinavians talked about the Jotuns. Those are the giants. But a troll mm. isn't a Jotun, mm. nor is it a forest person. And when the Swedes say tr troll, they're talking about anything supernatural is a troll. A little person, a big person, whatever, they're all trolls. Almost ghosts are almost trolls, too. Huh. But when you're talking to the Norse, 
the Norse idea of a troll is this big hulking monster that's like eight or ten feet tall that eats humans. Think Grendel from Beowulf. Yeah. Yep. Does this put the fear of God in people? Do most of these people just like freak out and they have to re, you know, they have to kind of go through the philosophical understanding of their life once they see these creatures? There's a lot of researchers that quit or take long breaks after weird things happen or they see something that they weren't ready for. (laughs) And I bet. How many of these sightings do you think happen and then that person doesn't survive? Oh, some of these cryptids, man, if you see one, you're almost guaranteed to not survive it. I was really hoping after I had um, talked about my sighting publicly and had a really good mock-up of it done so that I could show it to people, that there'd be like a whole flood of people coming coming in going, oh, I got chased by one of those, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, no, there's only been two. So as far as I know, there's three witness survivors of this particular cryptid, and I'm one of them. Damn. And do you think, dude? Do you think that like this, you know, the stuff with the um, the missing four one one and all the people that go missing in our national parks and the people that go missing across the country? You think a, a fair amount of that has to do with cryptids? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on with that. I mean, one of the things that they discount right away is, uh, well, the uh, you know the circumstances are so bizarre. A human couldn't have physically done it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Are you, you're eliminating the possibility that there's humans that are in league with demons and can get shit done yeah. that way. Uh, the Janosko that I was talking about, absolutely, if you go wandering too far off in the woods by yourself, you know, and they're, they might, they're not good suspects for a clean getaway. They're not liable to just grab you and walk off and not leave any evidence that they grabbed you and walked mm-hmm. off because they're pretty messy. They usually twist your head off. Jeez. The little people, they steal people sometimes <laughs> and bring them back again. And sometimes they just never come back again. And there's been little people sightings on the continent as long as there have been people on the continent. Henry Hudson, when he was exploring over in the Northeast, doing his explorations around Hudson Bay, uh, was well recorded that him and his uh, troop of men ran into some dwarves that were playing uh, nine pins and getting drunk, just like the old, <laughs> just like the other tall tale from the same, <laughs> from the same region, by the way. And uh, he said they had, like, one beer with them, and he wasn't sure what they had in the beer or anything, but he got way too hammered from it, and his men started acting really weird, and he got concerned that, you know, I heard these legends about if you take their food or drink or anything, you're screwed. You're going to be stuck with them forever, and you'll never get away. So he kind of went, oh, yeah, I remember hearing those legends. Hey, guys, let's leave now. Make whatever you will of that. But that's an actual report from Henry Hudson, the guy that did the uh, recon of Hudson Bay, man. How much of this is fake and fake, you know, reports and people making up hoaxes, you think, versus, I mean, at this point in history, it seems silly to try to make up a, some of this stuff because it's, it's been reported for so long. But I, I don't think, I think very little of it is fake and made up. Um, I've been contacted by tons of people and I've only had like two of them that I consider to be suspicious. All the rest of them, and most of them have after the fact proved that they weren't, they weren't kidding. They produce videos or pictures, audio recordings or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, a lot of the people that are having these experiences and stuff, they're not running a channel. You got to look at where's the money. They follow the money. Yeah. If you're going to go make like eight Bigfoot costumes so that you can film a whole clan of Bigfoot running around by you, how much money are you going to put into making realistic Bigfoot costumes? And how many people are you going to get that are really odd-shaped and sized to wear those costumes? And how are you going to pay them enough to shut the hell up and never tell anybody they did this? And then how are you going to make money off it? It's just pointless. 
And most of the people that come on a show and tell their story, yeah, granted, there might be some attention whores out there that are just making up a story because they've been listening to Sandwich Chronicles around the clock for the last break. <laughs> but that's, I think that's an outlier. Most of the people, you can just tell by their tone of voice and they're telling their stories and stuff. But some of these people have been severely traumatized. Really terrifying stories. They won't come on a show and talk about it. Yeah, a lot of people come on these shows as therapy because they have no one else they can talk to. And the real traumatic ones, they don't they don't want to come on. I heard that a lot. And, you know, something we should talk about, too, is like in the, in the, in the parks and stuff, like all the weird disappearances going on. I, I was just in the Smokies and I didn't let my kids get out of my sight because I know better. And a lot of people don't know this. And I think it's worth getting that information out there. Even if you guys don't believe in any of these cryptids or supernatural or anything like that, consider the fact that the the people that work with the parks and all that sort of stuff are not really that forthcoming about telling us what's going on and are frequently caught with their pants down saying there's no mountain lions in this area and then somebody will produce a picture of one the next day hmm. so just because they tell you there's no bears or mountain lions or whatever they're trying to tell you there isn't any of in the area you're going to go camping in don't believe them yeah i mean just some basic i mean to me, it feels like a lot of B- Bigfoot researchers are trying to get the information out there to help people, and I would say that's a that's a noble thing. And some people are in it for the money or hoaxing or whatever. But I had a question for you. I think of all, the, if I'm sitting here, I'm going, okay, look, you're describing all kinds of creatures. Of all the creatures out there that you've heard about, seen, what's your favorite, and why, and what's the most interesting and captivating to you of all the creatures? Yeah. Well, the ones that I've seen. Uh, <laughs> The only the only cryptids that I've seen is Bigfoot, as far as I know, um, two different kinds, as far as I know. Because um, the mountain the mountain giants just sound. I mean, this just sounds fascinating. <laughs> I mean, could you see a twenty foot tall guy with a club walking down the side of a hill? I mean, that... no, 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 no. There was one of those guys that tried to tell it. He, he called Wes and told Wes his story, but wouldn't come on the show and tell it. Mm-hmm. And he was just like seriously shook up and went. Well, that ruined my life. I used to love hunting, and I'm never going to be able to hunt. Yeah, I don't blame him. When's the last time you saw a uh, Sasquatch? You mean uh, photobombing me or in person? <laughs> like uh, a grade A sighting, I guess. Uh, seen two of them 2015, one in the fall and one in the spring. Can you describe those encounters? Like what they, you know, like give us a little more, give us a little more detail. Encounter, I was uh, going back up to my campsite. And I came walking in a direction I usually didn't come walking in. As a matter of fact, I didn't follow the trail at all. I went up, climbed up a short cliff, and then across this field, and there was wind blowing toward me, making lots of noise with the grass blowing. So apparently the Squatch did not hear me coming until it was too late, and I had walked through the tree line. And he didn't have any options if he moved. Of course, you know, we see movement. So I would have caught him out of the corner of my eye and turned. So he just plunked his ass down like he was a stump. And pretended he was a stump. And I had just been watching somebody else's channel when I was in town, and I went, oh, yeah, this stump looks like a freaking Bigfoot. I'm going to get some video of Paradoelia right here. This will be cool. So I reached down to pull my camera off my belt, and I look back at the stump, and the stump's now glaring at me. And I'm like, well, that's not a stump. <laughs> <laughs> He's about 60 feet away, and he doesn't look very happy. Maybe I won't take a picture of this stuff right now. And I put my camera back in my belt, and I kept walking. When the next thing that occurred to me is, well, he's only about 80 feet from my camp. So I really don't want to piss him off because he's like between me and safety. If I have to abandon camp, he's in between me and the road, right? So Mm -hmm. I really don't want to piss him off. So I'm just going to pretend like nothing happened. That's right. I didn't see you. You're a stump. I I, I don't believe you're a Bigfoot. 
It was kind of hilarious too because when he plumped his butt down, there was a stick there about that big around. Well, it wasn't a stick then. It was actually a small tree, but he squished it. So for the last few years, it's been really easy to find that spot because there's that one lone tree that's like growing up out of the ground at a weird oh my angle, where he just sat down and squashed it. <laughs> um, in the fall, we were camping. Me and Jack were both doing research down by the uh, Blackfoot River. This is still warm, and I had there was no mosquitoes down there. I had my tent unzipped, and I was lying in there sleeping. And between my tent and his tent, there was a thicket about like four and a half feet tall. And then there was another clearing that he had his tent in beyond it. I remember I was hearing commotion over by his tent, and I'm like, what the hell is he doing at 2 o'clock in the morning digging around by his tent? This guy's not a night owl like me. He doesn't wake up easy. And so just kind of silently, I didn't have to unzip my tent, so no zipper sound. I climbed right out of the tent, and I had a camp chair right there. So just silently sat on the camp chair. This racket's going on the whole time. And I went, hey. And all of a sudden, I hear him in his tent go, what? What are you doing by my tent? And I said, I'm not over by you. And then he had a, a camp light out in front of his tent. So you could see, like, a little glow around the opening where his tent was and stuff. And there was this tree about, like, a big around that was uh, maybe 20 feet away from me. And all of a sudden, this huge shadow goes by the tree. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then I think... No, he's just getting out of his tent. He's got the lamp right next to his tent. When he got out of the tent, he was in a crouched position. It's shadowy, so it looked like this huge Bigfoot. So I'm like, oh, calm me down. And he goes walking in front of the tree. No, it wasn't a freaking shadow. It was actually a huge Bigfoot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. You know, it was just over by your camp. And he goes, well, it wasn't you. And I go, yeah, I just saw it walk by the tree. There was one of them over there messing with your cooler. And he's like, I got to put my cooler in the tent. And I go, I'm not that sure that's a good solution. <laughs> yeah. Let's see, want some company. So that was pretty creepy because she couldn't have been more than 15, 20 feet away from me when she went around. She's trying to be silent instead of blasting through a thicket. She's t- taking our little winding trail that we've made through this uh, underbrush. The only noise she made was when she was messing around with this tent. As soon as she started walking out of there, you didn't hear a damn thing. And mm-hmm. something that, again, always blows me away, how they can be that huge and not make any noise when they're walking around. You think they have some sort of paranormal ability to, like, if they can send thoughts in your heads, if they can, that they can somehow mute their noise that they're making with their bodies? I don't know. I do know that they have, um, this is something that was brought up by Albert Osman when he was kidnapped by him for a few days. They've got big fat pads on the bottom of their feet. And other people I know that have actually had contact and touched them say so they've got really thick skin, like about a half inch thick. So you got about a half inch thick skin, and then you've got this pad that's like that friggin' thick. It's like a gel insole on the bottom of your foot. And when they step down, it actually squooshes out. You can see that in the tracks, the way that the tracks are formed. So that pad is hmm. like muffling and compressing and taking away most of the sound of them sneaking around. Plus, they're really good at sneaking around. I've heard it said many times that like when when, when people have a sighting, it just gets completely silent in the forest. Like, like It's like noise. They enter into like a noise bubble, and there's no, there's no sound. I got a guy I'm going to be having on my show who uh, goes under the, the handle of Bigfoot Anthropologist. That's his YouTube channel. And he does uh, analysis of sound recordings. And we figured out quite a while ago, the Bigfoot Outlaws figured this out, that they had you know, infrasound capabilities. But me and Bear were talking about it, and we also think they have ultrasound capability and that they can send and receive 
in uh, frequencies above and below what our hearing range is. Mm. But getting the little animals in an area to shut up, look, all you need for that is ultrasound. Have you ever heard a dog whistle? Well, no, because we can't hear that range. But right. if you blow up a big loud sound in that frequency range, that's the same frequency range all the little bugs and little vermin-like animals used to communicate with each other. So they're going to hear it loud and clear, and they're all going to shut the hell up. All the crickets and the frogs and everybody's going to shut up. Actually, makes a lot of sense. I, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that so many times. So they, they can I, just like, oh, everything suddenly went silent. Well, yeah, we didn't we didn't hear the air horn that all the little animals heard. <laughs> <laughs> what what about so what about the uh, the reports that that have like UFO kind of paranormal activity that's going on at the same time people are having Bigfoot sightings? Do you think that's something that had to do with Bigfoot's paranormal abilities, or do you think that those two things are separate but connected? Like that's because that's a lot, a lot of what you hear. Yeah, everything's connected in one way or another. Most of the people that do Bigfoot research never see any UFOs or anything like that. So uh, it's, I think it's connected in as much as since we're hominids living on this planet, presumably the, the theory going now is that, of course, the aliens are messing with us, doing research on us, whatever. Hmm. If they're going to come all that distance uh, to do research on us, why wouldn't they do research on the other hominids that are living on the planet? Which is Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, they're not dumb. I mean, that's a pretty decent argument. Yeah. Let's kidnap a few of them and genetically modify them. Woo! <laughs> We're crazy ass gray aliens. We got no common sense and we like to fly across the universe and pie yeah. Okay, so so if I'm a, if I if I was skeptic, I mean, I'm listening to this show. I mean, if you're a skeptic, you're just lost. Go do some research. Well, I mean, people just go. Well, those people are all just out in the woods doing drugs. And, and I wish I had some drugs that could make me unsee some of the stuff I've seen. I'd really. <laughs> appreciate it. if anybody's got drugs like that pass them along to me because i'd like to unsee a whole lot of stuff that I've seen. uh man i could talk about this stuff forever i'm just trying to keep people a little bit uh you know in the in in this dimension it took me probably six or seven years to even be able to talk about some of this stuff i know it doesn't sound like it but i am an incredible skeptic you've got to beat me over the head with the evidence repeatedly before i even take a look at it and go well that might be reasonable so at the point where I start saying that, like, yeah, Bigfoot, some of them have paranormal abilities, believe me, there's a lot of evidence for it. And if you need somebody else to back it up, the most accredited Bigfoot researcher on the planet is Dr. Igor Burtsev, the head of the Department of Hominology at the Department of Evolution, Evolutionary Sciences in Moscow, Russia. He has been doing field research since 1965. And when I had him on my show last time, I asked him point blank, Igor, why is it so difficult to get photographs, video of these guys? Why is it so hard to get samples from them or to, or to presumably catch one? And his answer was because they have paranormal abilities. This isn't just a North American or, or American, you know, thing. It's this is like I said, he's got a group called the International Hominology, International Hominology of Forest People. And I'm the uh, I'm the branch manager from Montana. <laughs> Love it. Oh, if there's a position for assistant uh, to the regional manager, then uh, maybe I'll put my, <laughs> my two cents in. <laughs> so, so, like, when in your journey did you kind of go? You switch from thinking these are just animals to these are supernatural beings. When did that? happen and what was the transformation because i think a lot of people are you know they it takes a long time baby steps to get to walk into well, the house let me interject there there was about 20 years of doesn't have supernatural powers humans are exceptionally good hunters if this was some kind of normal animal 
We would have had one in the zoo 200 years ago. We can kill anything on Earth, and we don't need guns to do it. We were killing whales when we were using harpoons, remember? Somebody would have Bigfoot's teeth and knuckles on a necklace around their their, their throat, you know, being a big, bad hunter guy, where they'd have their have one stuffed and, you know, hung on the wall if, right. these, if, if they were just dumb animals. Obviously, they're not dumb animals. The dumb animals are the researchers that think they're looking for an ape. <laughs> and as DNA research has confirmed, you know, half their uh, genetic line is the same as humans is. We don't know what the father's side of it is, but the mother's side of it is actually human DNA. So they're very close to us. They can uh, interbreed with humans in the same way that Neanderthal, which isn't human, can interbreed with us. Denisovan, which wasn't human, could interbreed with us. Um, some of the earlier things, like Heidelberg ancestors, that might even be what Bigfoot is, probably can interbreed with us because they're close enough genetically to do it. Mm-hmm. So they're they're near relatives. They're similar to humans. They're people. They don't think like we do. I mean, they're not they're not humans like we are, but they are people, just like a Neanderthal would be a person or a Denisovan would be a person. I've heard some people say that maybe Bigfoot is a genetic. Kind of like it sounded like, you know, the fallen angels back in the old school day yes. were, were messing with creations and creating weird hybrids. Like they created the werewolves. They created the these monkey men. Do you think that that, that could be a possibility that, that all these cryptid creatures are just uh, sort of scientific experiments gone wrong? Or gone right. When I had Gary Wayne on, we talked right. about that. He's, he's been on my show a couple times, and that's exactly what both of us think, that a lot of this stuff has nothing to do with human intervention. This is all the uh, Nephilim, when they were using their technology early on to create all these weird hybrid monsters. Most of them got wiped out. There's still a few of them around. And now that we have the technology, we're going to try and bring back some of the ones that aren't around anymore. Yay, because we're stupid. Yeah. Yeah, like, Duke, what you're saying is with, with you know, if, if the mother's side is, is human, it sounds exactly like, like the Nephilim. Like, essentially, yep. that's crazy. That's why some people, including the person that did the DNA study, lean toward them being Nephilim. But, like, what I like to point out from a biblical standpoint is there are no Nephilim anymore. Right. Uh, Nephilim is the old uh, vernacular for them for pre-flood. After the flood, they're the Rephaim. They're the risen ones, the creepily somehow risen ones. Um, you know, how were they risen again? Did somebody recome genetically? We didn't have the tech at the time to do it. My best guess is that some of them were hiding on the other side of portals while the disaster was going on, and others were underground in nice sealed chambers in stasis, waiting for the timer to go off and wake them up again exactly Uh, what the indians in the southwest say that there's large groups of giants on the other side of some of these portals and they have ceremonies and communicate with them and the giants have been telling them they're getting ready to come back soon oh boy oh boy (laughs) so so do you think that that's what they're trying to do with all these uh seances and megaliths around the world they're trying to open these portals and history of that and get these creatures to come out and manipulating these creatures i mean i don't know how weird we want to get on this episode but uh yeah just just trying to figure out where like to go back in time and figure out where did bigfoot come from and if this is here you know you think linearly you know we're kind of in a snapshot in time and in the middle the the creatures the nephilim is it all connected is it all the same 
story and we're just kind of piecing it together? It's like asking if uh, Balrogs and elves are connected. Well, from Lord of the Rings standpoint, they are. How much of a connection is there? Not much. Is it all connected? Yes, in a roundabout way, pretty much all of it's connected at some point or another. Hmm. Yeah. I personally don't think that uh, Bigfoot are the Nephilim. There's other candidates for that. So Gary Gary originally had thought they might be the Horim, which is one of the tribe of Nephilim that were extremely hairy. And after he did more research into it, he kind of discarded that too, and he's back to, I think they're pre-Adamites. And that's pretty much where I'm at with it. I think they're one of the earlier races, just like Neanderthals or Denisovan or whatever, that were running around on Earth before the fallen ones came here and wrecked up the place and started creating all kinds of weird mutants. Sure, sure. I I, I want to keep going. I really do. I think my last question is, is can you? I think what this all brings up to me is like the Bigfoot. A question about the Bigfoot community itself. There's people who believe in Bigfoot, and then there's this whole group of people on the inside who seem to be cannibalistic. They hate each other. They talk shit about each other. They, you know what I mean? They fight each other. It's just like this big ego thing inside the big Bigfoot community. And it, can you talk a little bit about that? Just because, like, we've, we've covered everything else, and I feel like that's kind of the last thing I really want to lay out with, to, to listeners is that inside the Bigfoot world, it's not hunky-dory. People are a little weird. Yeah. Well, first of all, there is no Bigfoot community. It's a whole bunch of different factions that fight with each other all the time. There's nothing homogenous about it on any subject related to Bigfoot. Second thing is that you've got issues with um, the reason that there's ego issues is because look who's attracted to doing something like this. Telling to completely swim upriver, go against the grain, tell everybody else they're crazy and I'm right, and then go out to prove it. Well, they've got a really (laughs) big ego. Somebody with an ego that big is not liable to be a good team player that's going to work with other people, especially yeah. other people with egos that big. Mm-hmm. So there's your problem. Good point. And if, you wanna, if you're part of the insiders in the government that want to keep this information from coming out, all you have to do is just get a few trolls to start fights between these guys. Hey, so-and-so said this about you. Really? Oh, so-and-so said this about you. Oh, I heard that blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, all the researchers are fighting with each other. Here's how you can tell if somebody's worth a damn to listen to or not. Do they put boots on the ground? Do they actually go out and do the research? Yeah. Okay. If they don't do that, they're not worth listening to. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. People that read secondhand reports from somebody, somebody sent me a report, I'm going to read it. That's worthless. You don't know if it's real or not, and the guy reading it doesn't know anything. Uh, Some of these channels that are really popular right now, um, they don't have anybody telling a story. It's one thing I do like about Sasquatch Chronicles Wes has the actual person that had the sighting on there telling the story. Yeah, firsthand. Right. You can listen to their voice. You can decide for yourself if you believe them or not. Yeah. Give Wes a lot of credit for that. Some of these other guys, they're just flat out making these stories up. So, you know, consider carefully who you're getting your information from and what the source is. The most reliable ones are the guys that are out in the field doing the boots on the ground research. And interestingly enough, those are the ones that aren't making any money. The guys that are actually doing the research and getting the information are yeah. the ones that are not making any money. It's purists, right? They're doing it, they're doing it for the... Doing it because we're interested in the subject. Right. We want to know more about it. And I'm fortunate enough that with my show um, being primarily geared toward having people with you know evidence to show on it, that I've been able to get together a good group of uh, you know really honest researchers from all over the continent and from other parts of the world yeah, that yeah. aren't egomaniacs that want to share information with each other. Well, you get cons- you get this consistency across a, 
across the spectrum. And that's what, that's really what you need to establish empirical evidence, right? Like you need to have consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And whether you've got some kind of a degree or a, you know, a piece of paper you paid for from the university is irrelevant to this. We're actually using the scientific methodology, testability and repeatability. Mm-hmm. You have a theory, you go out in the field and test it, see if it happens again. If it starts happening again a whole lot, like 100% of the time, then you can start going, hmm, this may actually be a fact and not just a theory. And then you can like very carefully say, well, I think this is probably what's going on. Right, especially if, of it already. Right, and if, especially if other people can repeat the same methodology and have the same results, right? That's where, you, that's where you're going to get foundational evidence, I would, I would imagine. And that's... Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't involve making up stories that <laughs> for clicks or you know for television. The first time in my life I realized there's like nerdy subcultures was when I was working in a camp in Santa Cruz and I got into disc golf for like two months. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> got a, there's just all these nerdy dudes. It's always dudes, and they just obsess about stuff. You rarely do females enter into these spaces. Why? Why is that? Why is that? Yeah, there's there's too much of that competition going on, and then I said like uh, there's you know the other factions that are trying to induce that competition to keep people from working together, and they've been very very successful at it for about thirty years now. Hopefully that'll come to a screeching halt now that we have social media and people actually can contact each other. Yeah, right. You can't. It's tougher to sow discord when you've got communication between parties. You know, I could tell I could tell a researcher somewhere else. Uh, I got this crazy theory. You guys want to check it out? And by the end of the week, I've got five researchers coming back that have already been out to their areas and go, "Yeah, check this out." And here's what happened. Man, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great feedback. Instant feedback, almost. So, so my last question, and then we got to go. <laughs> this is our next last question. This is maybe? the this is the last one. If if <laughs> if you took Luke and I out, if you took Luke and I out to your your hot spot, what are the chances we'd actually see a squash? Um, I was actually crunching the numbers on that, joking with one of my friends about it earlier this summer, and that I am about 90% for having people actually have a Bigfoot experience while they're out with me, and I'm close to 80% for people being actually seeing one while they're out with me. Dang. Nate and I are coming. We're coming. <laughs> I took 12 people out last summer, and there was only three of us that didn't get to see one. I was one of them, and two of my local team guys were the other two that didn't get to see one. One of them got to see like five. Another one got to see two. Um, yeah, three of them got to see two. Yeah, there was just they, they were all seeing them. We got audio recordings. We had air samples. Tons of tracks. That's awesome. I like those odds. I like those odds, Nate. Yeah, those are great odds. Some of these other guys that tell you that they'll take you out to live interact with a Bigfoot and then charge you three. I won't charge you anything, and I can virtually guarantee you're gonna you're gonna have Bigfoot around there. They'll come mess with your tent if nothing else. Oh man. Yeah. I love it, Duke. You sound like a purist. You sound like a guy who's interested in the subject, trying to help people, trying to be a good guy. And, you know, you're not in it for, for anything else, but it's just curious. And you love this subject. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show and dropping all this stuff. I mean, my mind's spinning from everything from little people to 20-foot-tall club-carrying beasts. You want to plug uh, your show again, and if anyone wants to get in contact with you, maybe they, maybe maybe you don't want them to. But well, uh, that's fine. Anybody wants to contact <laughs> me, uh, we actually have a cryptid report hotline that I don't have handy right now. I don't have the number memorized, but you can drop me a line at worldbigfootcentral at yahoo.com. I also have the YouTube channel, World Bigfoot Radio. I'm on tfrlive.com every Friday with uh, World Bigfoot Radio Show there. 
And I'm also on Library, Bright Eon, and BitChute. So if you want to get my videos anywhere else, I currently have 197 out. Most of them are wow. between an hour and two hours long, and these are not like sit around and chat videos. These are showing people out in the, you know, showing their evidence videos, you know, hmm. pictures of Bigfoot, pictures of tracks, wow. pictures of tree structures, audio capture, that kind of stuff. So Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. This yeah. is enlightening. I appreciate it. Yeah, we love it. Thanks, Duke. We might we might call we might call you back later if you have some more time. You know, in a few months here, I'm gonna have to dig in and just really start thinking about all this stuff and unwrapping it. Might have more more questions, and we might have to get Montana and have an 80 percent shot, Nate. Yeah, I would love to go to Montana. <laughs> I would be close to you though. We have to share a tent, and I'd be snuggling right next to you. I wouldn't. As long as the big, as long as not a bigfoot, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Duke. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Duke. I totally appreciate your time. Thank, thank you, and don't hug the wood key. <laughs>